Hey, Dave Berlin here for our latest episode of Sport Talks with Sport Profs Office Hours. And uh, we're joined today by a very special guest, one of our, one of Canada's best known, best regarded TV producers and broadcast producers specializing in live event sport production. He's got an NBA championship ring and a Canadian Screen Award to prove it. Please welcome Dan Gladman to the program. Dan, thanks for coming today. Dan, thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you and great to talk to you today. Well, listen, let's let's kind of start there. This NBA championship ring. Are you happening to be wearing it today by any chance? Um, I did put it on by the by the rare and unexpected chance that you might ask me. Here, here's a little look. It's uh, you know, my prized possession now. And uh it was uh, you know, obviously a time that I will remember greatly and honestly hope to pass this on throughout throughout my family as time goes on. Well, let's take us back to being in the producer's chair in the truck for game six of the NBA finals between the Toronto Raptors, uh, working for the Raptors broadcast um, against Golden State and what is two short years ago, but at the same time, two of the longest years that I think we can both attest we've been through. Um, what do you remember most now looking back from that experience from a producer's point of view? Honestly, I have two answers for you there. You know, the first, what I remember is the celebrating and what happened after the game and going and partying in San Francisco after celebrating after the win in Oakland, getting back to Toronto. And that's because that was what was unique about it. That was what was extraordinary. The game itself um, you know, this is a cliche in sports, but we, I treated it like any other game and you kind of have to, you can't let the, uh, the weight of the moment, um, interfere or interrupt your concentration and your focus. Um, by that point we had, you know, we'd been through game five, which was a potential championship win for the Raptors. We'd been through, uh, the Kawhi shot in the game seven against Philadelphia. So Really, uh, I the only thing I even remember about the game is uh, Fred Van Vliet hits a clutch three-pointer, and I remember waiting on it, waiting on it, getting three replays in before I went to the, the super slow-mo replay of him going, you know, which is, I think, is actually the iconic shot of, of the whole uh, championship round. But the truth is, at that point, myself, our group, we had done so many Raptors broadcasts that playoff round that season and in the the 10 years leading up to it and every game along the way was kind of treated as a dry run to get to that moment so I think what I'm saying there is that I treated every game I ever produced preseason regular season playoffs as if it were a championship game and and you know played it and handled it with the feeling that every game was important so that by the time you do get to something like game six of the NBA finals, all your patterns and habits are in place and you're ready to take it in, do the work and be creative. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, I think part of that process that you're referring to and your preparation is what you can always sort of fall back on to, right? Like when you, you know, it's, it, it's also an exercise in composure and keeping your wits because you, you're required to make a lot of split second decisions and you as the producer are the leader really in terms of where the direction of the broadcast is going. So you, you sort of referred to the word, Dan, focus. Maybe you can take us through a little bit about your process 
in how you prepare and how you have prepared, um, you know, for many games in terms of, you know, what's sort of your template and what's your, your ultimate keys to success for having a great game? Yeah, well, since we're talking about basketball, you know, um, it was recently the, the one year mark of the death of Kobe Bryant. And I followed Kobe Bryant's career since his, you know, since he was drafted into the NBA, I think in 1996. One thing that always made an impression on me and that I've always remembered that he said in an early interview in his career, he said that he visualized moments of games. He visualized playing in the NBA Finals right down to the detail where he could sing you the jingle of NBA on NBC, the, you know, the famous John Tesh little basketball jingle. Maybe, you know, for your podcast, you can insert it here for a moment. But he was visualizing where he would be in certain moments. And that really is, is the approach I take um, to producing any live event, any basketball game, and even now in the work that I'm doing um, on CBC Road to the Olympic Games. Um, I want to visualize the entire show ahead of me the day before it even happens so that while it's happening, I'm just making little tweaks along the way and little decisions. The more um, prepared I am, I find the better position I'm in to make split second decisions, to decide um, to, to call an audible and change something. But if I'm not prepared to do that, the, the process of doing that is more complicated. So to prepare for that, you basically work out a, a rundown in a format to your, to what you want, keeping in mind the other stakeholders in the show that you have to look out for. But you are designing a show format, even if it, you know, in the NBA, you're doing 82 games, it's generally the same day by day, but you have to find ways to create differently. But you want to get into that process, if you can, even the day before or more, so that you are in position to make decisions to change things as necessary. Yeah, let me ask you, Dan, I mean, how often does what you visualize, because it's, I agree with you, I think visualization is an incredible tactic, a great exercise to you to use. I'm just interested to know your take. Like how often do you actually find that, you know, perception ends up becoming the reality? All the time, buddy. What one thing uh, I was taught by one of my early mentors and somebody, the, the, the person who hired me in, in 2001 to work at MLSC, John Shannon, who's a, a legend in Canadian broadcasting. You know, a lot of people know him um, as an on-air persona, but he was a, a legendary producer of Hockey Night in Canada. He talked about not second guessing, first guessing. And so I always wanted to visualize not just what I want to do for the creativity of the show, but know what the stories were going to be. Now, you can't obviously be right all the time, or maybe not even 50% of the time. But there are moments, there's certain games, there's certain times where you know, and you, your faith in knowing what's going to happen will, will ring true. You know, when you do a game against the Golden State Warriors, you know you're going to talk about Steph Curry. You want to have things prepared. You want to have in your back pocket the video of Steph Curry 
on the court at Air Canada Center in, you know, 2000 with his dad, Dell, warming up. You want to have that ready to go. You, you know you ran it seven years ago, but now it's the NBA Finals. Maybe it'll come up. Maybe Dell's sitting there with Steph's mom, and, and it's an opportunity to get that in. So you want to prepare. You want to see things in the future of your show that might happen. If you have 10 things prepared and one thing gets in, I consider that a, a very successful um, production by, by a producer and by a, a production team. So a lot of it is, is knowing what's going to happen. And a lot of it is knowing your subject matter, knowing the sport. Um, I know when a timeout is coming, it's formatted by the league, but I also know by watching so much of the sport, when a coach needs to call a timeout and when I know it's coming, you can prepare yourself to make a decision and you can prepare the people you work with get them on the edge of their seat for what they need to do next as well. Yeah, and I love that too. I mean, the idea of really immersing yourself into a sport where you understand the rhythm and the ebbs and the flows, like you said, you really can anticipate. You you just see a team going on a run and then you're just, you know, you know if they score on that possession, the timeout's coming and you're ready. And and I, I love the, even the point about Curry because I mean, maybe in your back pocket, you're just, you're dealing with one of the most prolific long-grain shooters in the history of the game, you know, soon to be the most prolific, you know, maybe you've got, you know, that little video roll-in of whether it was Daniel Marshall hitting 12 threes as a member of the Raptors in one game all those years ago. And, you know, maybe it's just something Curry could eclipse in that moment. And maybe you've just got the NBA record as a little video montage standing by. Like, so that's, part of both preparation and leaving no stone uncovered. But what I also love, Dan, is too, and I think that knowledge, that understanding and, and immersing yourself in the sport kind of becomes so key. But I think one of, one of the areas that you can really shed light on that I, I don't think many of us know and sort of peel back that curtain, if you will, is this relationship and the intimacy of the relationship between yourself, between a producer and the director. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, the, the best word for it is, is a partnership. You know, you, you're, you're running a business together. Um, it happens to be a show. Um, you know, there's going to be different ways at looking at the, the best way for a show to look. And each person is bringing a different set of eyes and expertise to the table. I'm a producer. I'm worried about what stories we're getting what the talent is talking about and what production items we can use to, to enhance the story. The director, uh, his or her creativity is focused on, you know, which cameras to go to, when to use live pictures, when to use replay. So for me, the key in that relationship is trust, which I think anybody would talk about in any interpersonal relationship or partnership. Um, to me, the best way for a producer and director to trust each other is for each other to acknowledge the strengths and weaknesses of, of the other person. My strength as a producer in a basketball game is I know the sport. My weakness is I don't necessarily know all the technical aspects of a broadcast. I know how television is made in a live event, but do I know what lenses do this and necessarily what position to have the cameras in and what moments to go to it? That's not my strength. I want to rely on the other person. That's their strength. So, 
you know, it's like, it's like any human interpersonal relationship. Each person, producer, director is bringing their skill set to the table. And if you trust each other in the decision making, you're going to have a, a strong relationship and a strong broadcast. Oh, that's such a that's such a great answer. And I think it even lends itself to not just the trust, which is the basis for any relationship. I, I really liked what you said, Dan, about this idea of recognizing where your strengths are and your weaknesses, because it opens itself up to better lines of communication, right? Where trust sometimes is like, I need to give trust in order to get trust. I need to give respect to get respect. So, um, you know, that's a, it's a fluid, you know, cyclical type of situation. But this idea that if you're, you know, confident enough in yourself to be able to even acknowledge your weakness and be able to trust somebody else to help, you know, ultimately get this broadcast, the ultimate goal of the broadcast, which is to have a great show. And, I guess, meet the needs of your stakeholders while telling great stories and be able to do all that in between is really uh, a testament to that relationship. So just to sort of, I guess, segue, if you will, to the idea of stakeholders and how that factors into this, um, who do you consider, just curious, like your primary stakeholder? Because we can unpack this a little bit. There's various stakeholders, but when you, what, what drives you Dan, when you're producing, when you're producing a basketball game or a live event, it, it's it's a delicate balance. Um, there's a lot at stake, literally every minute of every live sportscast. There are stakeholders. There are people and organizations um, that that need to be served. Th these shows are very expensive to produce. Um, they bring in a lot of money in terms of sponsorship dollars, advertisers, corporate partners. There is all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. You know, it's not just simply Toronto Raptors against Boston Celtics. And, you know, Toronto has Sun Life on their jersey and Boston has General Electric. There's so much more to that. There's such levels of, of partnerships. And even within the companies, there's... Um, you know, different organizations. There's found this foundation over there and this charity over there. And you have to recognize the other teams that could be owned in an organization. For me, I go into the position of producer and I think of myself, you're the mayor. You are the mayor of this city. And being the mayor is not the glitzy, glamorous job that maybe a lot of people think it is. You have to serve so many constituents as another word for stakeholders and it, it's you know it's a bit of a political process but you have to be willing to accept that and understanding that that's part of the job in corporate sports um, and you're really a caretaker of the multiple layers and webs of relationships that pertain to to a sports team now that said a huge stakeholder is the audience and there are still many ways to provide creativity, storytelling, and just the raw basketball game or sporting event or news event, whatever, whatever it is, without um, stepping on the integrity that the audience wants to see. Um, so it's, just, it's really just a matter, I think, of keeping that in mind and treating, maybe you have to rank some of the stakeholders in your mind because sometimes you know, maybe the needs of your boss are different from the needs of the network. 
and you have to find a way to make sure that you're giving a little it, it, to every stakeholder that that deserves and has a, a right to be served in the scope of the show. Yeah, and I think that just gives really Dan some interesting insight into it's a real juggling act, you know. And of course, we see it on the screen, and everything's happening in real time, and it's seamless, you know. The the key players of the game brought to you by sponsor X and this sponsor bringing you this and how all these elements come together and that I presume you can't dare really miss one because if you do, you're going to have to be accountable and, and answer some tough questions after the game. Yes. And I've, I've, I've faced tough questions sometimes, not as tough as the questions I'm getting from you today, but uh, it, you know, there was a time on the Raptors broadcast where the first quarter was brought to you by Ford. The second quarter was brought to you by Hyundai. The third quarter was brought to you by, you know, Chevrolet. And so there, there's certain things that you, you do have to balance. But as a producer, really, when the chips are down, the most important thing is getting your sponsorships in and getting to commercial on time without missing live play. Because let's face it, that's the stuff that's, that's paying the bills. And that's what uh, offsets all the costs of the production. So you have to you have to pay mind and respect to all those kinds of commitments, no matter what circumstance you're in. So assuming that, because really, I think you, you just cut it down to the brass tacks. You gotta get everything in that you have to get in from a stakeholder standpoint to meet your obligations. And you can't miss a second of the play because then you're alienating your audience. That's right. Just how, tricky just from someone who's produced at the highest level nba wearing the ring you've done it and you've done it you did it, you know for a long long time like how genuinely difficult or when did you know that you had that down because i imagine from the first ever game you produced to the truck to the one that brought the ring onto your finger there's an immense amount of growth like when did you kind of know that you just had it and what did it take to get that feeling I still see some of some of the broadcasts, some of the of the regional NBA broadcasts from the states. Like, let's take a Cleveland Cavaliers game. He might do the, uh, you know, the Miller Light play of the game in between free throws or after a foul. And and I'm like, how are you? How are you doing that? The the amount of risk of missing a live play, it, it, it's too much. I I wouldn't want to face it. So. For me, I, those things are generally scheduled and you know, I know that I want to use that stuff coming back from a commercial break. It also allows it the time it deserves to, to tell a bit of a story. You know, to me, the, something like the play of the game shouldn't just be a quick replay. It deserves, you know, it deserves the sponsorship, um, I don't know, lack of a better word, initialization or the header, you know, and then you want a couple of your best camera angles to show it and for the announcer to get to talk about it a bit that's going to take a minimum of 20 seconds i just don't see how you have that in in play in basketball where you don't know when they're going to throw the ball in. it could be 20 seconds but it could be four so it, it's it's a risk so you know you know and I, and I think too you want to you want to do right by your sponsor too right if you're only given four seconds of love to something that they're paying good dollars to have sponsored listen sometimes you're left with no choice right like you got to get it in and here's where we're getting it in but i imagine even 
your sponsors probably appreciate you elaborating and going a little bigger on it than just in between free throws. I don't know. Maybe. I, I never heard from a sponsor one way or another, you know, oh, we really liked how you did the play of the game or, you know, but you, it, you can have a good relationship with your salespeople, you know, the, the people who are selling those kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes it's an adversarial relationship between production and sales. I always found that I have strong relationships and, and bonds with the people selling the stuff to the show because that also comes into play when the salespeople check with you first, you know, and it, it's not a hundred percent about the almighty dollar. And sometimes it's, Hey, you know, Dan producer, do, do you think we could fit this in? Um, is this, is this, would this sponsorship fit the format of your show or is it a little too much? So, you know, th that's just another group that you're the mayor and you have to work on those, those relationships with to make sure those sponsorships are executed properly, but also kind of fit in with the show. Well, I think that speaks to a couple of things, because listen, you, you do right by others and you have relationships. And then that key of being asked, hey, I had an idea for a sponsorship with this fit, because that even how advertisers sell space and how it works within the show. I mean, ultimately, as the mayor, you'd like to know the policy before it gets put into place. And I imagine that doesn't always even happen where you're like, oh, I guess somehow we're finding a way to get Ford and Hyundai in to both do the first, first quarter. I don't know how that happened, but it did. And I think as the mayor, like you said, that those are sometimes the politics, picking your battles and knowing that at the end of the day, you still have to find a way to serve your constituents. So like, you know, that idea, and I think the two themes that continue to come out here as it relates to, you know, relationships are how do you consistently solve problems? How do you look at what's the solution to any potential situation you're faced, whether it's technical, editorial, or to your stakeholders? Because at the end of the day, that's what a mayor does. He finds a way to make it all work and keep things as harmonious as possible. And the other being just communication. Um, you know, maybe you could, you know, as you've sort of spoken to those points, what, when you look day in and day out, Dan, at what, what it is that you bring to the table that is a, just a, whether it be a skill or it actually be a characteristic that you can't do your job without, what do you rely on the most day in and day out to be able to do your job at such a high level? Okay. Um, I would say instinct. I do trust my instincts. Um, and that is partly because um, I've watched basketball. I've watched sports since I was a child. I've studied not just the game, but, but the actual broadcasting of it. But along with the instincts come the experience. Um, you know, my first year or two in the, in the chair as the Raptors producer, I had TV experience. I knew I knew basketball, but I didn't have that much experience in that particular job and with that level of responsibility and leadership. So you do have to learn it along the way. Um, I worked alongside an incredibly talented director named Troy Clara, who we all, you know, you and I know. And I wasn't afraid at numerous times to maybe take off the headset and ask what he thinks what would you do? Because at that time, he had a lot more experience than me. He had seen more things in, in the broadcast trucks. And 
you know, there's nothing wrong with seeking out some advice to help you in your decision making. I would hate to think that I'm the kind of producer who, you know, rules dictatorially and to the point where I'll may I'll do the wrong thing just to prove to everyone this is how we run it around here. Yeah. Like so, it's my call and I'm, I'm right. Yeah. That's right. I I don't want to be that guy. So I'm um content and actually I consider it an honor to be able to lean on people who have similar or more experience and be able to get their point of view in terms of helping solve a you know solve a problem. But the, the other the other thing to answer that question is um, to not panic, to keep your calm, to keep your cool, take a breath, um, think about your you know mindfulness techniques once in a while and work through the problem. There's nothing that that has happened in, in broadcast sports or events that hasn't happened before. There's always a way out. And even in the absolute worst case scenario, which has happened to me more than once, no one's going to die. No one's going to get punched in the face. No one's going to physically get hurt. There might be some embarrassment or some answering, but at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. Mistakes happen. It's live television. You just have to deal with any problem to the best of your ability and, and with, your, with your honesty and your truth to yourself to try to solve it. Yeah, it's it's great advice. Um, I mean, geez, I look back to early days, you know, for our audience out there, Dan and I met at Sportsnet 20 years ago and started our career paths. And I know, hard to believe, right? And I remember, you know, there was a moment where uh, I was one of the APs working on the show and, and it was the night that uh, former baseball, Hall of Fame baseball player Wade Boggs got his 3000th hit. And, you know, you talk about like the worst case scenarios. Well, what do in, in live, live event TV, what is it? It could be missing, missing a big play. It could be going to black, you know, or there's nothing, nothing to watch. And you're like, what's going on here? Like, you know, these kind of these doomsday scenarios. And sure enough, it was, we had a quick turnaround and we had to turn around the hit because we were live in our show. And uh, I remember the producer saying, we got it. And I'm like, we got it. And he went to it and it went to black. So, you know, that was bad, but then we still needed to get it. So like four minutes later, he's like, do we have it yet? Do we have it yet? I'm like, we got it. And then we went to black again. So maybe it was technology. Maybe it was just me being young and not quite at the level yet where, you know, every, you can keep calm and you can just do what you got to do and make sure and make, you know, and trust and use your instincts and all of those things to put it together. But Dan, I, I do want to also mention too, because you mentioned humility and you're, you're truly one of the most humble people I know. And, and it's not a matter of saying so, it's, it's how you act and how you treat people. And, you know, today actually marks uh, what would have been my dad's 83rd birthday. He passed away a couple of years ago. And, you know, you talk about stakeholders and Dan, you, you did really in my life, like one of the most special things a friend, a colleague, you know, most, a friend has ever done for me where you pay tribute to my father by um, having the, the broadcasters during the game uh, provide really a eulogy and a, uh, for, my, for my dad, which was befitting of that of an NBA legend. And um, I mean, uh, especially on a day like today, it, it just evokes wonderful memories. Um, 
but I, I remember you saying something and it has stuck with me ever since you said this, and I think it speaks to the humility. It's this broadcast, this team, it's not my team. I mean, I, you've been the you've been privileged with being proclaimed or elected as the mayor, but your responsibility is to your constituents and to the fans. And on that day, you brought this human side, and not just to me, but I think the entire Raptors community is somebody who really cared about the people who watch basketball games in Toronto and across the country. And I, I wanted just to take the opportunity on this day to thank you for that. Well, you, you're welcome. And yeah, as a, as a great friend of mine for a long period of time, it was um, an honor and a pleasure to, to get it done. Um, I remember bringing it to Matt Devlin and I think it was Leo Routens that night and they were more than happy to do it. You know, these teams, as big as they are and as corporate as they are, they represent our communities. And that's a huge reason for the success of them. You know, it, it's people love sports, but people really love it when it says Toronto on the jersey or Los Angeles or Ryerson you know, whatever it says on that, on that jersey indicates a sense of belonging of a group and a community. Um, you utilize the television broadcast of your team, your sporting event, regardless of what level you're at, to be part of the community. And what better way is there than to recognize special people in your life, um, people who have been touched by the Raptors um, in their life and, and you know, be able to make a, as you call it, a eulogy or, or, or make a statement or even just a, a message of love um, to people who are suffering right now. The, the whole idea of sports, the reason why people love it so much is, is because it, you know, it can distract from some of the the hard times in life. So by reaching into that uh, community and personalizing it like that, I, I think it, it shows not only the team's um, responsibility and empathy for the community that it's in, but it also enhances a broadcast because it, it personalizes it so much more and it allows the viewer at home to feel like Hey, I'm I'm really important here. You know, beyond that, it's just to to be able to be to have been in a position to do something like that for a friend, and you know, it's it's something that had been done. You know, people do it regularly on these shows, and we, we even did an announcement one year. It was my parents' 49th anniversary, so th they had a picture with Jack Armstrong and me, and I you know I showed the picture. So it you know it just it personalizes it a little bit. It shows you that. The show isn't just about um, these brilliant athletes who seem like superheroes. It's also about regular human beings who have um, the realities of day-to-day -day life every single day. So let's kind of beautifully put Dan, and uh, let's just kind of sum up here because you know it's a different time right now. You know we talk about the human element, and yeah, people are suffering, and I guess sports is offering some bastion of hope and just an opportunity to escape and just what, what's really going on. I mean, the world's a, a different place right now. 
just even based on your everything you know of the past and the present, where where do you see the future of, of live broadcast going and how do you see it adapting and changing in light of a new potentially virtual and remote world? It's uh, I don't know if we have enough time to, to delve into a proper answer to that because it is changing extraordinarily, you know, at the, at the micro level, um, we're seeing in, in the NBA and the NHL single unit productions of the events and that, that's being done for safety. Um, but what I think a lot of these companies is going to are going to find is that that can also be done to save money. You know, do you need, you know, when the Chicago Blackhawks play the Toronto Maple Leafs, do you need two trucks? Do you need two technical groups there? Um, it's, it's becoming less likely that that would be the case, which is unfortunate because it will affect a lot of friends and colleagues and people I know and care about in terms of their um, potential employment down the road. That said, there's just more and more sports and events being added to the, the calendars and to the, the public experience. You know, audiences for basketball and hockey and baseball on television have gone down a little bit in the years, not to the point where their business is going to be threatened, but at the point where it's just not as much. And why is that happening? Because people are finding other not necessarily athletic, but competitive events. I, I, I've always thought that people will watch other people competing at anything. I, I used to, we used to watch in my college dorm, people playing video games, hockey, soccer. Well, look and, at it now with, I mean, the rise of esports, and that's not even small potatoes. That's like. That's, and that's, and that's where I'm going. Esports is, is, be, is on the verge of an explosion into a, massive business of its own of viewership and it is it is a, a a threat to traditional sports because you have generations growing up and it's more interesting somehow for them to watch video game contestants than the actual athletes but if you think about it the people can competing on a video game console are more like the audience you know the athletes that we want you know lebron james is just He's almost a, a godlike figure at this point. It's hard to relate, but you know, a 15-year-old kid. Uh, I, I'm saying this because I recently watched the FIFA Championships, FIFA 21 or something, video game championships, and these are kids in hoodies, and they might not even speak English, but he's he's unbeatable at FIFA 18. So that is becoming more and more relatable to young people as they grow up on head headsets, talking to their friends, playing Fortnite and, and esports games. So that is becoming what people wanna watch. And, and we're not even talking yet about augmented reality. So I just, I see the broadcast and production techniques staying similar, but the content itself is possibly on the verge of, of being revolutionized. Well put. And I think it's exciting, you know, because we're, we're going through right now and whether it was us, whether it was society as a whole or media having to hit the pause button and, and out of necessity sort of reevaluate, whether it be cost cutting measures or whether it be for where 
the audiences are moving to, um, it'll be fascinating. And I think that kind of change is exciting. And I, I do like what you say, the, the practice, the production methods, the training is going to be transferable. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out and what the next generation of sports viewers are going to be uh, engaging with and how, I guess, producers are going to engage with them. So with that, Dan, I, I just want to say thank you for taking the time with providing the insights and, of course, uh, being a great friend. Uh, pleasure talking to you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Great to see you. So that is another episode of Office Hours as part of Sport Talks with Sport Profs, joined by the one and only Dan Gladman, uh, producer extraordinaire. We will see you next time. Thanks.